Man, this or, deep, uh, deep state. What what would be the Dune equivalent of deep state conspiracy? Like deep, deep chome. <laughs> this deep chome <laughs> conspiracy. Oh, please don't say deep chome. I know. I had to. I had to. <laughs> Jabber with Amoa Dweebs, America's favorite podcast about daddies and sandworms. Auga, auga. <laughs> that was perfect. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, this week we're talking about. Oh God, what have we done? We're talking about chapters seven through eleven, technically. Eleven through fourteen. No. Oh. Eleven, twelve. 12, 11 through 15. Yeah. Nope. No. 10 through 14. <laughs> no. We did 3, and then we did 4, 5, 6, uh-huh. and then we did 7, 8, 9, 10, and now we're on 11, 12, 13. Except we're going to rediscuss 10, because we never really got to it last time. Okay. So we are on 10 and a half <laughs> through sure. 13. And a half, because I at least read 14. What the hell? That's, am- that's ambitious. I don't know why you want to go back to this four chapters that we couldn't actually complete last time. Because <laughs> uh, it's the only interesting chapter in the pile. But anyway. Lily I disagree. Like I disagree. I love PowerPoint presentations <laughs> and accounting <laughs> books readings. I was really into that chapter. <laughs> I just want to know, like, why not number the chapters? What is up with Herbert? Is that just some pretense? Is that his, like, his hipster affect before hipster affect was... No, I guess hipster's technically Well, existed. I think, actually, we've talked about this in episode one, but in other editions of the book, uh, the quotations are not page breaks. Right. But why are there... Really? So it's just one long rambling text. Like, that's irritating. Yeah. Well, we divide it into, like, three sections. Okay, whatever. You know. You know, if Princess Aurelian was in charge, this shit would have numbers. That's all I'm saying. It's true. Each of these would be a different book. <laughs> <laughs> that way she gets a different advance on each one. <laughs> Paul Atreides is a skanky, stinky whore. I hate him. Princess Aurelian. Yeah. I, uh... Well, so far she's gotten, she's done six, six different texts that we've quoted. Okay. Are you compiling a spreadsheet? Well, there's the manual of Maudib. No, no, and I, there's... I, I just want to know if you have a spreadsheet. <laughs> no, I have a list. Okay. I don't, need a, I don't need a spreadsheet a, for six things. In a grid of cells that is maybe pivotable or cross-tabulated <laughs> with a separate sheet. It's is not... that so weird? <laughs> I do love spreadsheets, as Alec was trying to allude to. Oh, me too, bro. <laughs> okay, so are we going to talk about the garden chapter, or are we going to move straight on to the actual chapters? It's your party, Alex. No, let's, let's talk about it. Let's go. Let's go back. Let's. What do you got to say about the garden? The, oh, the weirding I don't know room. If I actually have anything worth saying. 
Okay, um, I, w- I will say that maybe the end of that that chapter was one of my favorite scenes. I just thought it was really um, vivid how they look out over the landscape of Dune and the mountains, and they see the flashing lights and the coded signal, mm-hmm. and it just really painted a really, really, really cool picture. Uh, I guess also the other thing I wanted to bring into it is just that Paul and Jessica have the same conversation about Thufur that then, like, Leto and Paul have about Thufur, like... And then Thufur and Leto have about Jessica. Yes. So it thematically it echoes down the other uh, chapters that we did for this week. And Paul and Jessica have the same conversation about Yui that then is had again about Yui two yes. chap- three chapters yeah, later. There's, there's some redundancy here. Much um, like in their... Uh, well, everyone's on the same page. Everyone's on the same page of um, liking to suspect and then discount that suspect of everybody. Um, they've really got their shit together. Who sus- who suspects Yui? Nobody is. That's kind of the thing. No, they, have the, they both have the same conversation of, oh, it couldn't be Yui. Right. That's what I want to talk about. I know we're still on the garden chapter, but when it gets to later in this, and are we ready to talk about this? When it's like, oh, someone beloved to you is going to betray you. And old Duke jumps immediately to, he doesn't even finish the sentence, right? And he's like, not Jessica. <laughs> he didn't even say Jessica. He didn't even finish his sentence. And you went right the hell there, Duke. Everybody goes right to Jessica. And no one... No one thinks that the doctor with the missing wife that none of them seem to talk about or acknowledge. No, they do. They they bring it up and then they say, but it couldn't be him. And he immediately justifies his comment about Jessica um, saying that, why are we jumping all the way to the end of this? Sorry. Whole I, it... <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's relevant. Um, it's really tying tying these two weeks together. Um, you know, he, t- he ties it back in. You know, he says that even if it's not true, the whole point of indicating that it's true could be the purpose of this plot, right? Just to make him suspect and to tear him apart with suspicious with suspicion over him and his beloved Jessica. So either way, it's brilliant to try to implicate her. Right, but I think Lily's point is like the note says like. Hey, Dumder, somebody gonna hurt you. And he's like, not Jessica. <laughs> no, well, it says, if you could do that, if you could reread whatever you just said, but also then indicate that it's someone like beloved to him, like someone really important, which then could only encompass a few people. Interesting. Okay. He's, it's, speci- it's specific that it's someone that would really, really hurt him specifically. Maybe. Not Jessica! <laughs> I'll find the quote if you need me to. No, I had to go back and reread it when I was there. But, okay, so everyone talks about it. And the consensus is, not you, eh? We all think it's Jessica, but we're all agreeing it can't be Jessica. But we're all thinking it. We're, we're going to pretend it's Jessica. Well, hold on. If you, if you take that short list of people closest to Leto, you've got Howitt himself. And... As soon as it happens, actually, the very first thing is he says, "I'd sooner cut off my arms than hurt you." So, 
you know, that was, and they've already been talking about whether or not it's him. And then they come to the conclusion, him and Leno and Paul come to the conclusion. It's not how it, uh, he's just old. Um, (laughs) 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 they really go at this, this whole old thing. At some point they don't, they, they can mention how he walks in, uh, looking older and more leathery than he ever has before. <laughs> Greg just said that to me this morning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a sweet thing to say to somebody to quote yeah. Dune in that fashion. Was he specifically saying that he didn't suspect you of betraying him? Right. He's like, hey, I found this weird note. But just to be clear, even though I thought of you immediately, I know it's not you, okay? You're just too old. <laughs> All right, so the garden scene. Uh, did we get everything we wanted to out of that? Yeah, I think so. I just kind of like, I was in a fog. Oh, hold on. I, I, did fi- I did find the quote, and it is important here. The fragment of note says, and it doesn't even say Leto's full name. It cuts off the L. It's just the E-T-O. Eto will never suspect, and when the blow falls on him from a beloved hand. So it's natural that he would go to someone beloved, like, that he would not expect, which would naturally then be the person closest to him. I mean, I get it. It's still fucked up, though, that everyone, (laughs) everyone. Not Jessica! (laughs) That's going to be my battle cry. If old uh, Patrick Stewart went into battle yelling for Leto, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go no, into battle. No, Jessica. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so we jump right in. I, okay. I do like I do like that in his head. He says, "What a slimy piece of business. There can't be anything in it. I know my woman." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. So this is just, it's inveying me to want to just launch into one of my, like, Leto is a dope kind of tirades. But actually, what I think we should touch on instead is the really interesting parallel that Josh thought of in between, like, yesterday when we were talking about it, of who Leto could be an allegory or analog to. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, that, that's fine. I was also going to say that, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Leto's a dope, and if you were to go to the first, um, the first quote of the first chapter for this this week, it does kind of touch on that, which is, uh, it is said that Duke Leto blinded himself to the perils of Arrakis, that he walked heedlessly into the pit. Would it not be more likely to suggest he had lived so long in the presence of extreme danger, he misjudged a chance misjudge a change in its intensity or is it possible he deliberately sacrificed himself that his son might find a better life all evidence indicates the duke was a man not easily hoodwinked from Maudib family commentaries by the princess Irulan. so on the one hand uh sure and that even plays into the dune spiracy right in that sort of everybody's going into this knowing that the duke is going to die and they're all doing it basically to test Paul and for Paul's sake. On the other hand, Irulan's protestations aside, all the evidence indicates that the Duke is a man easily hoodwinked. Well, that's that's really funny because 
it seems like so often you read specifically the thing that is the opposite of what you've been led to believe by the text, right? Like mm-hmm. everything is contrary. Everything that's said is specifically contrary to what it, what it looks like. Huh. Um, uh-huh. And I find it interesting that that line comes from a third party after the fact in hindsight. Um, I also really, I, I just keep finding myself hitting this like, very noticeable confirmation bias where I'm seeing lines like, um, is it possibly deliberately sacrifice himself that his son might find a better life? Well, did he deliberately sacrifice himself? Or is this that same thing where, you know, they're him and Jessica are both like, we should have gone somewhere else, but there was this whole plot to make him go there to put Paul in power to and, test him. And I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole right at the beginning, but of course, Irulan is a Benny Jesseret. Well, there you go. <laughs> so if anybody was trying to rewrite this history, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that that makes perfect sense. Um... Wait, so we, we, all that to say he is a big old dupe and a dope and a Well, he's getting played. Right? So it it seems like played. he's getting played yeah. real hard. Um... But for some historical reason, maybe, or, you know... Here's here's my proof that the guy is just a doofus. Um, I guess this, these aren't his words, but the notice above his signature: "Our sublime Padshah Emperor has charged me to take possession of this planet and end all disputes." And I just love that because it's so, um, it's just so fatuous. Like, yes, you know how you can end disputes. All of history has proved this. The best way to settle. Civil war, interracial strife, sort of ethnic tensions is to just colonize and take possession of something. That's going to sort it all out, guys. This is the best way to put it to rest. (laughs) Well, Well, but he knows that, right? He He knows it's silly. I was thinking it was his quote when I was just looking down at my underlining, but... But right, he's no, still like, like doing it, and he's still talking about like we gotta make the money, and he still definitely yeah. sees the Fremen as like a resource to be mm. mined, either sort of socially mined and get like why the hell would the Fremen send legions of men to fight for this guy, right? Why? Uh, I mean, yes, he oh, is. So hang on, this still gets into Josh's thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I do think that he sees them as, uh, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and um, Num- number one, Atreides mistake. That is true. <laughs> they that all is, do it, and it helps none of them. Well, that would that. I mean, that is literally the line that convinces Jessica that it's not Yui, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that is that is ultimately seems like their biggest downfall. Uh, but what I was thinking was, you know, these these three chapters, huh. you see the Duke portrayed as someone incredibly politically savvy, someone who really cares about his people. He seems to also care about liberating the, the free the folk. Face, we'll show you what we're talking about. Yeah, no, he he um <laughs> he seems he seems like he's going over the books. He's he's saying the right thing. You can even see that Paul is impressed with the even the perfect tone that Leto uses multiple times um, when conveying certain items. And 
he, he and then you have these, this line from the princess saying that he's not easily hoodwinked. So they're always portraying him as this like consummate politician who's incredibly savvy, um, and then potentially dead. And I was saying that there's this, <laughs> <laughs> there's this really you know so so soon into him taking power in this new place. And um, I asked Alec what year was JFK um, pre- what years was JFK president? And it was two, four, two to four years prior to the book being written. Yeah, and so like I, I think I agree though that like JFK was probably really heavily in Herbert's mind when he was writing the Duke Leto character. Fascinating. Well, having and, I don't know if I've told right, you this. Like when you like even in the first the beginning of this, right? Duke Duke Leto Trades leaned against a parapet of the landing. He's just like a cool dude, just out leaning. You know, he's just like this suave, thick-haired. He knows his charming. woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's and and he's staying single because he's like that eligible bachelor, right? Like there's that whole. So there's some really interesting class stuff I wanted to get into, too, though, that also goes into um, the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing, right? Before you get to that, I want to go back to something you said, which was talking about when you asked if Frank (laughs) Herbert thought that Leto's um, behavior was charming. And I think he did, based on this new theory. Oh, interesting. Huh. Okay. I mean, I am... Look, I've got my... Is that a, I've got my oh Gum Jabber here. <laughs> oh, my God. How how do we show this in audio format? Oh, well, we've, oh. Got, well, we've got a recording of this. I'll just take a screen cap of the recording, and we'll put it on the Instagram. Um, wow. You didn't want to, in the last episode, let me do my segment on my top five favorite things to fidget with at my desk, but one of them included a piece of, of <laughs> saran wrap that was fidgeted around my finger and only now did I realize is a gom bar. So there you go. This is what you miss it's... when you don't let me do my side piece segments. Speaking of side pieces. Jessica. Not Jessica. Not, not Jessica. Jessica. Not, my Je- not my woman. <laughs> not my woman. <laughs> I know my woman. Um. Wait, so... Sorry, go, now go back to your stuff, yeah. So the class stuff is basically, there's this Atreides assumption, right? That, like, everybody who hates the Harkonnens must love the Atreides. Totally missing the possibility that a lot of these people probably just hate the entire nobility, right? <laughs> I am then, doing emphatic hand gestures at this point to support you, Alec. And then there's this really funny moment, I think right on... This page, or one of these pages right here, where Leto is like, part of him wished he could do away with all class distinction, and it's so petulant and <laughs> mopey, a great Atreides mopey man tradition. Well, what about the what about the conversation where uh, Leto and Paul are talking about why the other houses aren't helping them? <laughs> what about it? Yeah, well, it's just another it? it's just another group of people that they kind of just assume like, oh. They love you. They call you Leto, Leto the Just, but they're not helping you. And it's because they don't give a shit about you, right? But they feel like they, they have some sort of loyalty from these other, these other factions or should be getting loyalty from these other factions. Yeah, or maybe also the Atreides are in this weird place where the other houses, like, 
somewhat fear them but see them as class traitors and but then the like lower classes don't have any attachment to them beyond certain elements that have like a direct personal loyalty out of the urge to kill Harkonnens more than Atreides. Well, sure, and later does say that you know they haven't they haven't seen who's going to win yet. Well, here's the thing. Here's a radical notion. Why, like, similarly with the Fremen, they're like, oh yeah, they enemy my enemy. They're gonna they're gonna be on board. They're gonna want to sacrifice lives to help us win this interhouse battle and the Padishah Emperor's reign and all. And chom, they really they're into this stuff. They're in it with us. They really want to stuff it in the chom. <laughs> they just want them to go the fuck away, like with a lot of. I, I'm going to venture, colonize people, oppress people. It's not necessarily, well, sure, maybe you want revenge. You want to, those things. Another motivation could be get the fuck out of here. Go go away. Leave us alone. You're not from here. You're not one of us. Which would make more sense than, which is also is why the Bene Gesserit, like preceding of, um, as in preceding, what's the better term for that? Planting? I think they literally call it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hello. My name is Dr. Brislin. I have a degree in agriculture and I couldn't think of the term planting. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't do anyway. a lot of planting on Dune. You've been you've been caught in a Dune world too long. Thank you. So just like the 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 uh prescience so that I do sound articulate of the Betty Jesuit seeding of these um mythic mythic just myths it's not mythic it's just a myth you'll edit this to make it sound better uh anyway make putting the myths in place to um rationalize and justify the presence of off-worlders uh of colonialists um and yeah although i also have a point about that that's kind of interesting mainly i mean the fremen have been here longer than a lot of people but the Fremen are not native to Arrakis. Well, we don't know that. Yeah, you, you, do. you, you know do that. Do we? we don't know that. Um, They're humanoid, it is I guess. implied in, within the scope of this book that they are human beings and that, do, that Arrakis is not Earth. Oh, God, Alec. It's so obvious now that you say it. <laughs> Okay, so they are when worlds collide. This is Dune could definitely be in the same universe as all of the Ursula Le Guin Hainish cycle books, right? Like Left Hand of Darkness, which I don't actually love. Um, the world, the word for world is forest. All of the things where it's like this extended human universe, um, but they are like hundreds and thousands of years separated because of the nature of space travel, and then they have to reencounter each other as if they're new civilizations. Interesting. I have never read any of those, so you're out nerding both of us. Y'all haven't read Ursula K. Le Guin? I nope. need I need a minute. <laughs> Are you serious? Okay, well, to anyone who's actually cultured out there listening to this podcast, <laughs> I'm sure you can appreciate my one's worlds collide. You have to fucking read it. Okay. Okay, okay. Ender's Game, then. Ender's Game, also same concept universe. World, worlds, like... Oh, there's the relativity thing? Yeah, although this is... Anyway. Shocking, you yeah. read the male author, the Mormon uh, <laughs> weirdophile. Way, way, way to steal my thunder on when worlds collide. 
I really was gonna. I told back. you, Josh. It's it's a Freaky Friday backwards reversey. I <laughs> didn't show up for the original recording time. I barely read the chapters in time for this. I couldn't get my audio to work. This is how we. I've it's really mine rubbed now. off on you. It's. <laughs> I, I'm gonna sing the songs moving forward. Just wait to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you can do a two line. I mean, there's like there's like a nice little just a little poem from Gurney yeah, in there's the some second Gurney page. Poems. Yeah, and actually, yeah, there's two. He, he Do quotes we a whole like bunch. those? That, that ugly lump of man. taste the air of time, blown past falling sands. So similarly to, like, does Herbert find Duke Leto charming? And probably, yes, it's, he's his ideal. Do we find, I can't, now I'm like, oh my god, do I find him? Do I find Gurney charming? Mm. That ugly lump of a man. I mean, I am known to, like, fall for an ugly lump of a man, but the quoting... The quoting. Oh, his head, mm. his head full of quotations and flowery phrases. His heart, that of an assassin. Is this like Game of Thrones series? World when worlds collide. I'm just gonna keep hitting these up. Where uh, Herbert actually imagines himself to be Gurney. Like he thinks he wants to be Leto, but when he actually writes the book, oh, he ends up writing himself as Gurney. He is Gurney interesting? Oh. Was he that kind of like annoying guy who had like a quote for every situation? Every oh, probably every, every seven chapters in the GD book. <laughs> Man, <laughs> he so he is both Gurney and Princess Aruland, but mostly Gurney. I can't believe I came up with my own. Josh, this is me fully becoming you. I'm coming up with my own Dune conspiracies. <laughs> This is this is your final transition into being a Benny Jesuit. <laughs> but you have managed to encompass the thoughts of both genders. <laughs> she is the Quizette Saturday. Butch realness. Yes. I use both because I feel like that's what was used in Dune by Herbert. So so here's the thing I want to ask about. For the whole chapter, the whole first goddamn chapter, like every three seconds, Leto is like, they have tried to take the life of my son. <laughs> is he surprised by that? Because I was not. He's so offended. I was very, like, I didn't get it. They could try to kill like, me, but they cannot kill my son. Yeah, it seemed real weird. Like, did you not expect them to well, try to kill I guess everybody? He... <laughs> He's not easily hoodwinked. Right. I mean, and he does he does come he does come to the conclusion that they're trying to wipe out the whole line, him and his son included. Yeah. Like like that like when he thought of that, that it was like they're gonna get all of them, then um that was that moment of, of clarity for him. And did did we already read it? Isn't there a chapter a section one of the chapters where there's a like a letter from the Baron and the Duke is like, oh, Respond yeah. in the rudest way possible, per the terms of Canley. No, has not happened yet. No, I could have sworn mm-hmm. we passed that already. Oh, 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 well. oh, oh. Uh, I know. I don't think so. I think we would have talked about that. Okay, I'll it just sounds familiar because probably. Find it. But you know, it's like he before. is. No, I think we did because he. Anyway. He misses no chance to egg on the Harkonnens and then is very surprised when the Harkonnens actually try to kill him and the people he loves. Oh, that is an interesting point. I mean, there are a lot of really fun um, mind games he wants to play with the Harkonnens uh, in that, in, later in this, this little segment. 
And it really stands out how several times in these chapters, in the middle of the accounting table, like the you know, <laughs> asset depreciation tables, they're like, the Harkonnens wouldn't hide agents in the outgoing <laughs> y- units. They're not that smart. <laughs> right. No, not even that they're not that smart. They're not that imaginative. Right. Which I guess is maybe just to like show us how the Atreides underestimate the Harkonnens so that they miss the threat that they did actually plant. Mm-hmm. But it's, I don't know. I mean, it's just miscalculation after miscalculation. Well, outright saying, hey, the Duke wouldn't actually miss anything. <laughs> Sharp as attack, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Which is then coupled with that quote later where they're like, oh, don't worry, don't worry about it, about the little sneaker Snape trying to get poison jab, Paul. (laughs) The hunter seeker? Yeah. (laughs) No, it was a little floating robot with Alan Rickman's face. (laughs) The little sneaker Snape. (laughs) When worlds collide. (laughs) All right, Harry Potter. Uh, okay, I, so, I was just going to bring it back to our our very first episode when we talked about all the meetings in uh, in Next Generation and how that was that would been our worlds collide for this week because they had meetings to fix everything. And it's but it's double worlds collide. I thought about this because it's also the Star Wars prequels in that so much of the plot of these chapters revolves around like trade disputes, and labor <laughs> contracts. <laughs> It was a little bit of a slog. It was a little bit too much my, like my everyday life of like, hmm, how are we going to allocate this budget? Um, do we have a, if I swear to Christ, if the next Duke Leto meeting has a Gantt chart in it, I'm fucking done. I don't remember that being in this book. <laughs> if there's even a futuristic version, I am out. I'll, I'm quitting what, like Josh. Every, But it's what every corporate meeting I've ever been to, it's what I've wanted it to be. It was the most interesting meeting I've ever attended. <laughs> I loved every I loved every second of that PowerPoint presentation. Okay. I mean, I've but never we're... I've never seen a PowerPoint presentation that had ornithopters and carryalls. You love was, an ornithopter. Was... This this is when we were talking about the video game, and you just started doing exactly this. You're like, oh, you can play the game. You can get a carryall. You can get it. <laughs> Or <laughs> I, f- I found I found my Dune 2000. It's blurry, I think, because of your background blur. But yeah, stupid blur. I didn't turn on background blur. Is it just oh. actually like um, you're the inventory manager for a military warehouse? <laughs> Is that the game? Mm, ki- ki- you kind of are the logistics manager for the spice <laughs> operation. <laughs> You do have to manage how much spice you can silo. You have to manage like oh how many God. of your you have your harvesters get eaten by worms or destroyed by the Harkonnens. <laughs> you do have to make sure you have enough carryalls to transport the right number of. Oh God, <laughs> but you do, but you don't want to do too many too soon, or you're going to run out of power. You're going to run out of money. You really need to like build your operation at the right pace. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's everything. Everything about these meetings is everything I loved about the game. You, you got me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of you going back and doing like a review of Dune 2000 and being like, "No, you guys missed the point. The combat's terrible, but the accounting is amazing." <laughs> it's, it's true. I mean, the logistics decisions are fantastic. <laughs> 
That's real good. This helps me understand gaming on a level I never understood before. Like, now I get it. Like, it's a slightly more exotic version of, like, <laughs> inventory management. It's really a lot of just-in-time logistics, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, have you ever heard of, like, civiliz- like the game Civilization, really? No. It's a whole series that's mostly about accounting. It's about, like, micromanaging cities to be like, oh, too many of these guys are farming and not working in the factories. Our overhead's out of control. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And it's a very popular game series. <laughs> wow. I don't know. what yeah. Greg has tried to get me to play a couple games. Have you all played this? Um... Wait a second. Is it a... Is it a plot? Were these games all designed to create the next generation of middle management? <laughs> There's your Spiracy. That's like the Ender's Game stuff where like, oh, you're just playing games. Yeah. It is. It, it is. Oh, whoops, it was genocide. So Dune, the, the video game, <laughs> Shit, Alex, is the real worlds real, collide. Man. Dune, the video game, and Ender's Game. Ender's Game's not a game. It's a, it's a story. <laughs> But it is a Worlds Collide with the Dune game. Yeah. Oh, it's it's beautiful. I'm taken. Yeah. I'm I'm actually a bit shook. Like this is this is a legit insight for me. Is like, wow, I didn't know that that's what games were like. But uh... not not all of them. Like a lot of games are just about how fast can you twitch. But <laughs> or or how ingrained in your head can be the first person shooter experience be so that you're ready for like just absolute murder constantly you seem to be really okay with it cool cool <laughs> so yeah they, they literally are all just training people for different low to medium skill jobs <laughs> this is amazing all right yeah Hopefully someone's listening um, that vehemently disagrees with us. I would love to hear an yeah, alternative Yeah, maybe this could be our first really like controversial opinion. I'd like that. Um, I'm going to take a five-minute break to ladle myself some stew and get some wine. Ladle okay. it. We were also talking about how we kind of need more Bee Gees jokes when referring to the Benny Gesserit. No. Although, you know what? In an uncanny uncanny twist of things so the things that get stuck in my head during this pandemic are i don't know that they're more or less weird than the things that, that get stuck in my head otherwise but it was um how deep is your love by the bgs had a good two-week rotation not even rotation just a two-week stint in the old noodle I was going to quote that when we started talking more about Jessica and, and Leto. Let's bring let's bring it in. That one I'm willing to. <laughs> and she's she's more than a woman. Oh wow. Okay, Josh. I will reluctantly allow the admission of BG's and Paul, references. And Paul Paul's just staying alive. I mean. No, no. Nope. Redacted. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. So you know, there, there uh, was some so, there was some social media stuff that I I feel like I wanted to talk about this week. Okay, I'm excited about that. I just don't remember what it was. Think about it, Josh, because here's here's a rando. Well, thing Lily, that, did you see the did you see the link I, I tagged you in about mm-hmm. how people are reading rereading Dune and that's exciting. That's fine. Y'all look at this. I have something 
I have something from okay. the text. I have a textual reference that I think is really important for us to think about. Break it out. All right. So, uh, what's his face? Oh, Gurney. Gurney shows up with all his dudes, all the army dudes, in the space mm-hmm. hangar. And then Leto says, Get, give 300 of them to somebody else, please. Yeah. You're best. He's like, cool, cool. I didn't need them. That's fine. I just spent so much energy training them. It's Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just want to talk about this constant reference to their space bag. He took up his space bag. <laughs> his space bag? Well, and it's one word. For me, it's page 103. There's multiple references. Like, the men come in with their space bags. He picks up his space bag. He puts down his space bag. And I just... It's such a... I don't del- remember these space bags at all. What? I just am so curious about what constitutes a space bag. One word. Space bag. It's actually a brand name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's like a bag of holding, right? It just makes more space for them. Oh! <laughs> Each one has a tiny guild navigator in it, just folding space over and over again. Yeah, well, it could be a regular sized one folding space over and over again. It's a it's a bag of holding. <laughs> space bag. Keep saying it, please. <laughs> oh, I will. Wait, where did you see it on page what? One oh three is I is when I had what read it like? enough. One one zero three. One hundred and three. I don't know. My my favorite my favorite moment on page one oh three is where the Duke is giving um giving Gurney instructions, but feels the need at the end to be like, and don't forget the men for Howitt. <laughs> and I got stuck on that line for so long thinking about how the fact that he just said that would have made me forget it like i would have gone and done the other things <laughs> and it would have been my luck i would have disappointed the duke and forgotten the 300 men like that would have been the thing I'd be like, ah, i would have gotten in bed that night i would have email myself be like shit 300 men for how it do it in the morning <laughs> oh yeah he took up his space bag space bag well so you refer to a you know a a, a trunk you take to see as a sea chest so maybe hmm. it's like that Oh, way to way to cover for him. Well, I'm more covering for Herbert. Like maybe that's what Herbert's thinking. Like no, that that was the him I was referring to. Oh, okay, right. Who, who else was... would have written space bag? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Blow it out your space bag. Especially uh, Herbert was in the navy. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, no. So that's totally the reason. He wanted to say sea bag, but had to change it to space bag. Alec, if I think if I had to cast, um, I'm not I'm not ready to cast all of us yet, but you are definitely the Gurney Halleck of our crew of Muadweebs. because <laughs> you've like, uh, you've got the uh, maritime knowledge. Mm. <coughs> oh, really? I I really thought that. I was one most likely to carry a ballast set everywhere. Mm. Oh, maybe you're both Gurney. Josh is the troubadour. Huh. I may be more of the thufer. More convinced of my abilities than I actually possess. See, hmm. I thought a, I thought a million deaths for Boyle was never <laughs> enough. 
would never be enough for him. <laughs> a million bags of dicks. <laughs> That's right. What I couldn't get over, other than we're gonna space- have to get Leslie to come on and help help you sing the song. Maybe that'll be our penultimate episode. That'll just be the intro. She would mm. be so delighted. That'd be great. Um, we'll really be stretching our time zones then. Oh man. What time zone yeah. is she in though? She's still in Chicago. She, she's in Jeju Island, South Korea. What? She's like she could be going to baseball games right now if she wanted. She's living that post quarantine life. I don't think oh, she's actually man. living the post quarantine life. But. I mean, we talk regularly. Leslie, you're not listening because you don't like this stuff. But I love you. <laughs> How could she not be listening to us? I am offended. Y'all, are your friends listening? Someone, um, a good friend of mine, a super dork, I say that out of love and admiration, from high school, was like, hey, I listen to your podcast. I actually really like it. And it was it was qualified. that It seemed qualified and like, it was actually really interesting. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what, you th- what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> One of my coll- one of my colleagues said oh. he was going to go paint his Gundams and start listening f- from episode one today. So we'll we'll see what he thinks if he makes it to this one. <laughs> Otherwise, he you... he gets a shout out. <laughs> He'll know who he I is based on the Gundams part. <laughs> it's quarantine. I started a podcast. The assumption is it's going to be bad. True. Days days before we started, I saw some sort of meme about white guys starting podcasts. So. Mm-hmm. Shout out to me, Token LB. <laughs> that sounds like your version Token of BG. Uh, Alec, you take over. Josh and I are drunk. <laughs> we're we're just staying alive. <laughs> Oh man, I think it's my turn to podcast. No, you are you're definitely more than a woman. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> this is why I wasn't gonna admit the the fucking species references. Uh, I never should have allowed it. It's your fault. All right, so old space bag brings all the men in. I just want to reference. That as much my, as we my think, my space bag brings all the boys to the yard. Is that basically just <laughs> yes? <laughs> and he's like, "I'm better than yours." <laughs> uh. Anyway, here's here's a quote. He gave his propaganda person a message to relate to the men. Those who had brought their oh, women yeah. <laughs> would want to know the women were safe and where they could be found. The others would wish to know that the population here appeared to boast more women than men. Y'all who brought your fancy luggage, here's where your luggage is. And if you need new luggage, they got luggage. <laughs> Not just luggage, space bags. <laughs> the population here is 60% space bags to men. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's weird, right? It's clearly supposed to be a point, but it's also not as, like, I don't know if it plays out as well for Herbert as maybe he thinks it does. 
What's supposed to be a point? Space bags? This like the no that like that the Duke is aware of how his soldiers think of the way how their first priority is women and access to women. Yeah. Right? And like Herbert's in his head like, oh, this is a kind of a profound, you know, observation and I'm I'm calling this out <laughs> in some way. But it's like mm. I will say, to be a hundred pages into a science fiction slash fantasy novel, and it is wholly unerotic. There has been there's it's <laughs> profoundly unerotic. No sexual tension of any kind. Well, mostly just phalluses. Yeah, hold on a second. Dick metaphors, but not even around. Well, you're right. There was a little one, but it was awkward in the way of like, it was super awkward. It wasn't that little. Uh, Now, you know what does get a little erotic? There's a little table spitting scene coming up in a chapter or two. It's true. I'm excited. There's definitely some sexual tension right there, right? Because normally at this point, I would expect to like figure out if it was like, okay, either we're going to like repressed homosexual tensions or like same sex tensions, and we're just going to not acknowledge that that's underlying tension, or it's going to be overcompensating and like, like just gross up to sexualism and this is just uh pretty dry so i'm looking forward to this table turning scene that i don't remember at all because i don't remember anything you're saying it was dry this whole planet's dry (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'm sticking with it um well i haven't quite gotten to it yet because it's the chapter where duncan comes in but i did just go past again that section where the Duke says he'd like five full battalion of Fremen troops before the first chome audit. And again, <laughs> first off, anti-sexual. Second, <laughs> just the arrogance. Even right when you read that chap, that passage, it's amazing. It's just like, oh yeah, of course, of course, these guys will just show up for you. Right. Well, right. there was a smuggler caravan. That left this siege while Idaho was there. It was carrying a heavy load of spice. (laughs) (laughs) They even had pack beasts. Oh, yeah, but so then, starting on chapter 117, well, sorry, page 116 to 117, right? Duncan comes in. This is also a weirdly. Like, did Duncan not know that Stilgar was following him? I was very confused. It's like, it reads like like bad stage directions. Oh my god, yeah, Stilgar, how have we taken this long to get to that dude? He's the best part of all these chapters. Parade of Daddies Part 2. Yes. <laughs> Idaho. Stilgar. <laughs> the Wilderness <Daddies>. Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm about. Hey. The dance is pretty good. <laughs> Don't describe it. I just want the listeners to imagine like a an awesome daddy dance. They 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 certainly are. Awesome daddy dance. Um yeah, so um a knife, my lord. A knife the likes of which you've never seen. Chris knife, someone asked. No doubt of it, Idaho said. Milky white, 
and glowing with a light of its own like. Don't unshoot that knife. And then he goes to take it out, and Stilgar, from off stage, screams, <laughs> Keep that blade in its sheath! Wholesome daddy. <laughs> Ooh. But again, did Idaho not know Stilgar was right behind him? You make a great point, Alec. I also remember being like, what? What? Where did... <laughs> this super... This super couth, like... In the no, dude. Did he not come with you? Did he like take yeah. a separate ornithopter? Did he honestly? Did he, he had, submit he a requisition to form to inventory to get a? He had to, to have snuck up. On, he had to have snuck up on him. Otherwise, Idaho would have warned the guards. They wouldn't have like held him at knife at like weapons point when he walked in. They wouldn't have had to like give him permission. So you think Duncan told him to wait in the car, and he just like <laughs> there it is. That's what it was, actually. Okay. Definitely buddy cop movie. Scene <laughs> scene. I guess I'll buy that. Wait um. in Thopter. <laughs> I'm going to buy you a Thopter model for. Please, please do. This year. Did you see how many they had? <laughs> no? I did not read the Ooh. tables. Who no, Josh. Oh, it was like 6,250 Ornithopters. Oh. But only like one in ten have shields. Yeah, there yeah, was which... so much discussion of shields, and I was like, "It's just not so that much. interesting to me." The, even the shield, even the shield part, got me down a little. I was like, "What are they going on about about these shields? Why do you and, need shields?" Yeah. And I don't. Gurney comes back in. He's like, "No, no, no! I've got one more thing to say." The Fremen think the shields are funny, and the Duke's like, "Oh, okay." And then it's like the end of the chapter. <laughs> Yeah, Gertie, we know. Like, we're done talking about shields. Even I'm bored with this. <laughs> and I don't I don't remember it paying off later in the book. Like, I don't... I don't think that's one of the great mysteries that's revealed, is why the Fremen think shields are funny. What I thought was funny was that Frank decided to call it a tri-D projection. Mm. Well... Do you think this was before 3D was like a commonplace term? Do you oh think? shit, maybe. No way. Sixty-four, sixty-five. I am certain no, that no, I architects so. were building three-dimensional 3D models, models out of paper and toothpicks. Yes, yeah, no, totally. in Roman times. I guess you had to have a sense of Cartesian versus whatever forms of geometry and cartography that. Uh, Yes. Leave it there. Normally, in these sorts of conversations in professional setting, I trail off and then someone talks over me, and then it's clear. It's not clear <laughs> that I don't know what I'm talking about. I need you guys to step it up a little. I really wanted you to to play it out. I wanted to see what happened. <laughs> the Fremen stared at the Duke, then slowly pulled aside his veil, revealing a thin nose and full-lipped mouth in a glistening black beard. Okay. Deliberately, he bent over the end of the table spat on its polished surface yeah you're right Alec. i missed all this daddy <laughs> action i was frantically reading before today's and i missed the hot shit man and then everybody's like oh i'm gonna we're gonna stab stilgar and then idaho's like we thank you stilgar for the gift of your body's moisture <laughs> 
Alex, yes, you're, you're delivering right. this Stilgar action to me. <laughs> I want to reread stop. this later. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, this actually isn't meant to be sexual, but it could be a metaphor for other things. But um, as a perfect uh, overwrought by Zoom pandemic allegory this quote about so they go through all these like there's all the tension stilgar comes in he kind of sorts it out and then they don't know what to do afterwards because daddy's gone but duke's still there they're like oh anyway paul's reflecting on it it all ended in confusion yada yada this meeting had just seemed to trickle out worn down by its own inadequacies and with an argument to top it off. And I was like, if that isn't every fucking day of my Zoom life, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is. That's amazing. Worn, yeah. worn down by its own inadequacies. Like, put that on the epitaph of <laughs> every bureaucracy ever. <laughs> <laughs> Chum yeah. audit. Have you audited your chum lately? Sad face. All right. Anything, Josh? I feel like you got the most excitement out of the ornithopter um, inventory. Is there anything we might have overlooked? I clearly overlooked some really delightful uh, commentary on Stilgar for the <laughs> um, grinding boringness that was actuary no i mean at the end of the the inventory they started talking about um the property that they confiscated from these harkonnen creatures that were eliminated and then they came up with this great plan to pretend that they were still alive take the property for themselves and then then went into this whole thing about a ducal tithe where they're gonna essentially tax all these harkonnen uh agents and then posthumously and then give the money to the emperor i got so confused please explain to me what was happening even in this explanation i'm confused so yeah let me find the page hold on if it's not worth it don't do it but i was like okay yeah i'm past this which no, is... it was pretty good it was pretty brilliant i like no, to our I listeners if you it. ever get into a sci-fi book that gets into the little weeds weedsy on the on the the nuances of tactics and things, it's okay to be like, I, I don't really care, and then sort of skip ahead, just skip, 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 skippity pat pat. You just move on ahead. It's because you were running late. I do it all the time, man. When it gets to battle scenes and like epic battle scenes and things, it's like, oh, so and so smote so and so with this blade, and then he parried the. Bl- I, no, skipping and skipping it. Who won? Over. Who died? Who really? won? Moving on. Really? Hmm. I mean, basically, they said they wanted to stop all of the um, the smuggling and all of the illegal activities that the Harkonnens had been profiting off of. Um, so they said they were actually going to make it easier for them to, to smuggle, make it a legit business that's sanctioned. Because they would no longer have to do it under the table, it would be less costly to the smugglers to make money off of their operation. So it would only cost them about a quarter as much as what had been costing them. Right. So it would make the smugglers happy. But then they would charge them a ducal tithe, which would then make 
the Atreides money, and then they would name the tithe in the name of the emperor to give the emperor credit and pay him the appropriate taxes on the income that the Atreides were going to get off of this operation. Therefore, the only person that it should piss off would be the Harkonnens. And Chome. And Chome and, and everyone else would be happier. It, it would piss off Chome. And indirectly all of the houses because they all own part of Chome. But... Why? Well, I, I still, I actually, all right. I don't actually know what Chome does. I think it's funny and I know it's some sort of cabal, like OPEC are, or something. They're OPEC, right? They're yeah. OPEC, yeah. In charge of the extraction and sale of spice. Right. Extraction, refinement, and sale of spice. So if so you have off books. smugglers are doing that without going through Chome, that upsets Chome. So then why would Shom be mad if the Leto is bringing the smuggler trade on the books? Because he's not well, shutting it down completely. He's yeah, only... He's letting them do it on their own ships without Chom approval. Chom's the only one that doesn't uh... get any money out of this deal. <clears throat> right? The Emperor gets money, the Duke gets money, the smugglers get money. Chom gets screwed. Chom and the Har- Harkonnens get fucked. And then... They decide to double down on fucking the Harkonnens because they know that both the Emperor and the Harkonnens have these secret stockpiles of spice. And so he wants to enlist some Fremen on an operation to raid the Harkonnen spice cache. Um, and then the Harkonnens wouldn't be able to do anything about it because they can't even admit that they have this this spice cache. Yeah. So it's stealing yeah. stolen goods, right? I mean, essentially what they're what they're going to try to do. So here. this is like a little bit of the wire. It's like some mafioso. Yeah, sort it's of... a little wiry, actually. That that actually makes it more interesting. I was all into all of that shit. I was like, plots within plots. This is great. It's almost um, as if you work <laughs> in like insurance and. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And risk management, yeah. Um, right. <laughs> the, the, the really, the, the best turn, though, on the whole thing was the scheme against the Harkonnen agents on the planet who have property and essentially decide to be ruthless towards them, right? They decide that they're going to kick out all their families. They're going to take all their property. They're going to take all of their spice. They're going to take everything from them. And they're essentially going to show them no mercy. And... Um, Essentially, they've got this whole plan to make it happen, so they, there's really no recourse, except for the fact that they're all real proud of themselves, until Paul thinks to himself and to us, this is likely to be our downfall, because now they're going to have no reason to um, surrender to us. They know they'll get no quarter, so they might as well fight as hard as they can. I'm starting with Paul on that. I do remember reading that and being like, Why? Oh, he's totally, he's totally right. He's totally right. I mean, this is this is the arrogance of... The, the Leto regime, right? They think they they think that they see from every angle everything that's coming at them, every every attack. He's so aggravated that they didn't catch the attempt on Paul's life, but they they see how this is all gonna happen and really it was just Thufer's old. He's super old and leathery. And <laughs> <laughs> just a just a big old space bag of a man. And it, it probably it, <laughs> that threat wasn't there when Thufur checked the house. It happened from outside. You know, it was it was something that could not have been uh, not have been checked for by Thufur. So not his fault. The enemies of our enemies are our friends. Like they they think they've got it all down, and now they're gonna start 
turning the screws to their enemies and picking up some Fremen, some Fremen legions. They know that the Sardaukar come and dress as Harkonnens. I don't know how that plot yeah, uh, that came to their brains. Big weird misstep there. Like, how the fuck do they know that? Why the fuck do they know that? And maybe a Benny Gesserit told them. I mean, the more and more that they talk and they reveal their plans, the more sure of themselves they are that they've got it all down. And then Paul's like, uh, I think they're missing something. But he hmm. doesn't say anything to anyone. Well, he is 15. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's kind of weird that he's him. at this meeting. Yeah. But he is the Kwisatz Haderach. True. Why? Also, where physically were they? I was so confused why he, the Duke was like, uh, how about you post up on a couple of chairs with an old rag and like sleep it out? Where are well, they? We don't necessarily know where they are. I mean, we, I'm sure they said it's it. It's like right? Spice know, HQ, right? I mean, this is... Well, we know Paul had to fly there from the palace. Oh, we did know that. Okay. Yeah, they're like, you know, this is where they're going over their inventory of equipment. This is like where all the all the workers and soldiers are flying into. This is like their landing base and storage facility, it sounds like. They got their corporate headquarters, their offices off-site from the home. Yeah, so like the Ducal Palace is in Lexington, Kentucky, and they're over at Fort Knox, like checking in yeah. inventory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. All right. But they don't Meanwhile, have showers there. The former Harkonnen for... base is over in Bowling Green, where Rand Paul is from, and his <laughs> Senate district. And guess who's experiencing an unprecedented spike in COVID rates right now? Shout out to Warren County. My heart and thoughts are with you, but. Thing. Rand Paul is the Baron Harkonnen. No, I really thought it was that turtle face motherfucker. You would think that, but um, he's Emperor. <laughs> he's yours too. Yeah, I know. So, are we going to yeah, talk about so about, next... about, still, about Idaho's uh, dual allegiance? Oh, is there a bond on his allegiance? You want me to do more sexy Duncan? Uh... Please. I mean, yeah. You wish me to go with him, sire. <laughs> yeah. I'm so. Anyway, I can't we're... believe I missed this, and I'm just so grateful to you all for bringing it back to me. <laughs> I wish you'd make your own decisions in the matter, Leto said. <laughs> like they literally, they're talking about a polyamorous setup with Stilgar. Like Would you would you have me under these conditions, Stilgar? <laughs> and still Leto's the big daddy, right? It's everything comes there'd down to like there'd be times when I'd have to return to serve my duke. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always like, yo, no, 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 no. I respect you. I feel like you should do what you want, follow your truth. As long as I approve and I approve. I need everyone to hear that I approve of this in this room. They're they're of their own free will as long as I approve of it. This happens like five times in the chapters we read. Like, I'm not down it with is Duke. A bond I do not. Us. I do not. I do not stand Duke and anybody. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe this is a discussion for later. But like, in some ways, though, the Duke is a far more democratic or consensus focused leader than Paul ends up being. Mm. Right? He Even takes counsel. Is, yeah, he he 
His all of his decisions are based around can I get everybody to agree on this thing in a way that they move together. Um, and I guess that's enough for now. We'll talk about Paul's leadership traits when we get to Paul's leadership traits, but they're mm-hmm. very different and very interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for this, Alec. Do you think that the characters in this scene that know of Kynes know that when Stilgar refers to Liet having dual allegiances and that being the precedence for Idaho too, that that's the same person? I don't think they've put that together, which seems real weird, given that they should all have like a document somewhere that says the head imperial ecologist is named Liet Kynes. <laughs> Well, at first I was like, no, they don't know. And then later they do talk about Kynes and Kynes' dual allegiance also. So I'm like, wait, maybe they did put it together? But I think that's after they meet. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe Liet is um, maybe Liet is Kynes' siege name, and I misremember, right? Maybe their name isn't actually Liet Kynes. It's something Kynes, and then Liet is their Fremen name, and that's why nobody puts it together. Mm, maybe. But yeah, they, because in the last few chapters, not from this week, but uh, they mentioned Liet also, and no one knew who this Liet was. Right, and they talk a couple times about like, oh, it might be a local deity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, so... and that, that, that like, oh, du- the dual allegiance—that's a very deity sort, like a pagan deity sort of trait to possess. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Herbie knew what he was do- talking about there. Yeah. Oh, Harvey. I feel like we're winding down somewhat. I would be remiss if I didn't mention like how the Duke sometimes thinks he's clever and coming up with a like brilliant analysis of things, and it's actually just. <laughs> so he talks about on Caladan we had sea and air power, and yeah, and I Arrakis. like to call it desert power. <laughs> Not as deep of an insight as you think it is. I, I think I wrote down Desert Power in my notes because I thought it was so dumb that they so really dumb. wanted to take credit for Desert Power. I don't power. know what it is yet. I don't know what it entails, but I'm thinking <laughs> in Caledon we had C. Follow me. No, stay with me, guys. In, in Arrakis, <laughs> Desert. So, the old noodles I working really- here, I'm thinking. Desert power. Uh, again, falling into my like half-hearted role as Herbert apologist. <laughs> I think that at the time when this was written, the way you thought about difficulties you encountered in the natural world was still very much, damn it, <laughs> right? Damn it, irrigate it, blow it up. Right? Oh, I thought you meant like what you... nature. God damn it. <laughs> no. <laughs> That is what I thought you meant at first, and then I got there. This this was another one of those um, booty or boot camp moments. Booty or boot camp moments, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Nature, damn it, damn it, <laughs> not again. <laughs> right. Alec, so I I'm think... sorry. You actually were having an insight that I misheard. I think Herbert thinks that Le- again. We're getting back to does does Herbert think Leto is cool? And I think he does. And I think he's he trying does. to say that, right, everybody else is like, oh, let's just, bear, like, let's just, you know, pave over the desert. And Leto is 
interesting because he says no let's have desert power <laughs> but to us it's kind of like oh yeah you really blew the lid off that one buddy <laughs> i like that you're the herbert apologist i can't wait to see what other things you have to apologize for alex <laughs> yeah i'm interested in if because like i feel like could a woman conspire against her own son They are naturing by nur- like nurturing by nature. They're naturing by nurture. <laughs> that was a slip. The new fragrance from Benny Gesserit. <laughs> oh, I let our secrets slide. Since um, I don't know if we've been doing a good job of reading quotes, but oh, maybe I yep. shouldn't have read this chapter. Doesn't matter. This is the fourth of three chapters I think we were supposed to read. There is probably no more terrible instant of enlightenment than when. Than the one in which you discover your father is a man with human flesh. From Collected Savings of Movement Deep by the Princess Ruin. So, I just found, I think, two quotes that go completely opposite to everything that we were talking about earlier about the Atreides' take on the uninspired Harkonnen plots against them. Okay. Because then in the conversation where <clears throat> Leto's talking to mm. Thufur about how the Harkonnens mean to destroy you and it couldn't possibly be Jessica, you know, she would have done it years ago. Not and Jessica. Then he says, he's, right. And then he says, um, this could be a work of art among vendettas. They mean to def- destroy you fully, right? Destroy you fully, your whole house and everything. And then. They uncover the plot in their minds. That they, they think about how what would they want with a Chris knife, right? What would the Harkonnens want, could possibly right. want with a Chris knife? And in the eyes of a person with blue on blue eyes, this could be disastrous. And so both of those plans where they, they recognize that Peter could be that very Harkonnen that could wield that Chris knife and blend in with the, with the Fremen, those are two pretty good plots. They got some... They got some uh, <laughs> They got some art- artistry to them uh, after they've said, well, they couldn't possibly be that creative. Then they uncovered two ways that they could be that creative, but doesn't seem to dawn on them that maybe they've underestimated them. In fact, they even mention that um, Thufur's uh, problem was that he underestimated the Harkonnens, right? Oh, yeah, right. Because so I- it goes like, oh, it's this, it was, you know what, Thufur, it's all right. It's all right, man. Like, you trained Paul well. He caught the sneaker. It's it was it was it was sneaker. It was such a simple plot. Like Josh, get it right. Sneaker Snape. He caught the sneaker Snape. And And caught the Snape. It was a. They're simple-minded. They come up with. We are too. We are too complicated in our strategic thinking. We couldn't even envision such a dumb simple-minded thing that's why we overlooked it right it's cool it's so man. much double like, speak it's it's right. crazy well under close reading the vast preponderance of textual evidence is that the atreides power structure fucking blew this <laughs> in every which way right yeah like they kind of saw the big plot but they missed on every detail every single mm-hmm. one 
and that's got to be intentional, right? Like he's got, especially with all the like counterfactual quotes, right? With a Rulon being like, oh yeah, these guys were totally on top of shit. And then you see the behind the history where like. So nope. we're going to assemble an Atreides blooper reel? Is that how this is gonna go? No, it's couldn't be Rod Jessica. No, when worlds collide, arrested development. The Harkonnens couldn't possibly be so clever to do that. They were. Right? He's just constantly cutting to Ron Howard explaining that the Atreides are incorrect in this statement. Who could we possibly trust? No one. Except people that hate the Harkonnens. They could not. They, that, that was wrong. That, nope. Yeah, they absolutely could not trust those people. Well, right? it, could be any, like, it could be anyone, but It's Yui. like a highlight reel of people who hate the Harkonnens that have also tried to kill an Atreides. <laughs> I love that version of this. And the one we didn't cover, not my Jessica, I know my woman. <laughs> did not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good ending spot is we've finally settled that the end of these chapters is just to prove what fuck ups the Atreides were. <laughs> yeah now I kind of except for Paul it's all a test to see what Paul notices is wrong with everyone else's assessment maybe yeah, yeah. um yeah so I don't know. How are you supposed to end a podcast? I feel like we, we're going to do a theme song. I forgot that last week. But is there anything we should say in conclusion? Well, we could we could thank our adoring fans. Yeah. If you are listening, please uh, rate and review us, especially on iTunes. That's the only way we're ever going to escape into the broader Dunosphere. T- tweet at us. We and, have a Twitter? Uh, yeah, we do. I'm Gum on the Insta. Jabber. Podcast? Y'all hit me up on Instagram at Gomjabber. I'm I'm blowing it up on Twitter. We have yeah, over seventy followers. It, so I love our Insta. So it's probably my favorite Insta whenever it posts. <laughs> we got to get more. Um, yeah, does anybody remember the name of the other two? Uh, Spice World, Doom, uh, Spice World, and uh, Let's Get Weirding. Those are the other two Doom podcasts. Go give them a listen. And, and then come back really and tell us what we could be doing better. Yeah. We're not really Go going out with the bang here, guys. Yeah.